Hey, all you wiretappers, back here in the studio with the second part of the two-part story of Sammy the Bull Gravano and his arrest for dealing ecstasy out in Phoenix, Arizona. Trying to get to the bottom of this, was he really doing this to make money? Was he just covering up for his son and, and daughter and wife, all of whom were arrested as part of this conspiracy? Or, or you know, what was what was the deal? If you search, if you dig scratch deep enough, you'll find quite a little bit about this. Now, at this point in time, after we left off last week, Sammy the Bull Gravano and his son Gerard, his daughter Karen, her boyfriend David Seabrook, and and his now my now ex-wife Deborah are living in the Phoenix area. She lives in a great big house, and he lives in a little apartment. He owns and operates Marathon Construction and Creative Pools. He goes in there all every day doing business. Uh, his neighbor uh, across the street, I believe it was uh, was apartment or maybe across, I think it was across the street from his wife's house because he does some kind of construction business, maybe builds him a pool, they have an argument of some kind. But that guy's recognized who he is, and, and uh, many others in the area have recognized him. Uh, he didn't have that much uh, plastic surgery done. Uh, he had his tattoos taken off, and during this time, he's getting more tattoos back on. But he's a very charismatic guy. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, a good friend of mine, Doug Fessels, FBI agent, was with the Gambino squad. And uh, if you want to, he was on the podcast once uh, telling about it. he was a guy that took the message with some other agents and a picture of, of Joe Pistone to Sonny Black, Napoletano, and Lefty Rosario and said, hey, uh, Donnie Brasco is not an informant or a cooperating witness. He is an FBI agent, and don't you forget it. Anyhow, uh, uh, Doug was with the Gambino squad, and he talking about, he talked to Sammy a few times, and he said, he, he describes him as uh, the most charismatic, pleasant, friendly, helpful uh humble guy that he'd ever talked to he said you know this guy is good because you can see that side of him on the surface but you know get on the other side and and i've got a feeling you're gonna see a whole different guy anyhow his neighbors recognized him he's released his book uh underboss uh, a lot of relatives of his murder victims are suing him to try to collect on the royalties uh the Gambino family has dispatched a hit team. His wife, Deborah, and son, Gerard, are opening or have opened an Italian restaurant called Uncle Sal's at Scottsdale's Best Kept Secret. A little play on words there. He can be found there many evenings. He can be found at other many other public places. Uh, there are people that claim he was well-known at a local coffee shop. He played chess, signed autographed copies of his book. Purportedly, there was a steak restaurant that had a piano player. So well known there that when he'd come in, the piano player would break into the theme from The Godfather. So, <laughs> so anyhow, uh, he's been on 60 Minutes, if you remember that. He is the government's prize witness, Salvatore Gravano, Sammy the Bull. For years, he has been living in the shadows, protected by the U.S. government from a long list of sworn enemies. You can relate me to a soldier in Vietnam who killed hundreds of people, maybe. I was a soldier of Cosa Nostra. I am a hitman. A hitman, the underboss, emerging for his first, and he says only interview before he retreats into the shadows for good. He agreed to talk on the condition that we provide former FBI agents for his protection. 
and not broadcast until he had dropped safely out of sight. Here I am. The Mafia. They have said you are the single most important witness ever to testify against the mob. I think I am. So there's a word that you use for people who turn right and you to cooperate. You're trying to gulp me into the word? Is the rat, is that the word you like? That's the word. So are you a rat? I look at it as I was betrayed, I betrayed him. Double crosser? Master double crosser. John's a double crosser. One man who has tested will later testify that he was already in the X business at this time. He tried to get into the marijuana business, this guy said, who had a clandestine laboratory down in San Antonio, and he later testified that he helped him get into that. He wanted to get in the marijuana business, and he told him, now you need to get in the ecstasy business. Now, his son Gerard, working at this restaurant and, and going out to clubs, I'm sure, and he has met a transplanted New Yorker. This kid's family came out here from upstate New York, so he wasn't connected guy. His name was Mike Papa. Right about the same age as I got the feeling he was a little bit older than Gerard. But he's a he's a real flamboyant guy, a weightlifter, and went to high school there and has a lot of connections in this uh Gilbert, Arizona, which is a suburb of, of uh Phoenix and the Scottsdale Tempe. That's all this one huge big batch of cities out there if you've ever been out there. Anyhow, he he's starting to run with Papa who, you know, knows everybody and, and has been selling ecstasy. Because uh, it's gotten real popular at the clubs and at raves, and he he has a lot of connections around Arizona State University. You know, there's a lot of action going on down there for young men and young women. Uh, there'd be a lot going on there, a lot of ecstasy and, and marijuana. So this guy doesn't really know. You know, he he's not connected to the New York Mafia, but you know he he's well read enough. You know who knows who Sammy the Bull Gravato is because you know he's the guy that put John Gotti away. And and he was all over the news, and and he's been in more recent news. He's been on sixty minutes, and and the uh, Phoenix Republic is written writing an article about this time, and and he's bringing Gerard into this drug business that he has. So there you got the two separate stories. This other guy who came in as a cooperating witness had another case down in San Antonio that he came in, and he tra- he will testify at a bond reduction hearing. That Chevy the Bull had already gotten the drug business. I, I'm I'm struggling with that one. The guy had a lot to go and uh, a lot of reason to to help the government with Savvy the Bull, and Savvy the Bull was already pleading guilty, uh, and all they wanted to do was uh, get this guy to testify and dirty him up at a drug or a bond reduction hearing back in New York. So I I don't know. I struggle with that one. I'm starting, as I got into this story, I'm starting to believe that he he did move into this drug business to try to help his son a little bit and, and, and not really, was not really in the drug business to make money. Although, you know, he's a guy, you know, he, you're going to put out your efforts, you're going to want some business, you know, I want some money out of it. I mean, if I do something, I want some money out of it. Can't always get it, but uh, you want some money out of it. This guy, you know, he he's he's got all this uh, publicity going down there. He's selling a book. He doesn't really need a publicist. He's his own best publicist, as you can see to this day. 
he's a he's a walking advertisement to sell his book and sell sell his podcast or whatever he wants to sell. Charismatic, genial, friendly guy. Got a construction business. There's a few rubs with different people out there. It seems like over the business, no business, but no more than normal. His son's running with a, a, a tough crowd and, and some drug dealers and, and the mob, the, the Gambino family is in Phoenix to take him out. Finally, they after all this, they, it's just like, they're like throwing it up in his face. What are you going to do? They're throwing it up in your face. You're going to send out a hit team. Now, the hit team was sent out by a guy named Huck Carbonaro, I believe. Now, the the main guy in it was a guy who knew about alarms and was a really a master burglar, uh, a guy that could, you know, could plan stuff out, was known to be a good planner, uh, a guy named Sal Benzio Milano. In 1999, the, he got out there and he started stalking Sammy the Bull. And that, I can't remember exactly what happened. Like I said, go back to my podcast on this, on the hit team that was sent out and, and listen to that. I don't need to go back over that. During this time, the Phoenix Police Department starts picking up rumors that there's a drug ring, an ecstasy ring, connected to Sammy the Bull Gravano from New York City that's operating in Phoenix. I talked to the sergeant in charge of this. Like I said before, he didn't really want to be part of this. He's he's had enough of this. He, he worked cartels and and all that stuff for his whole career and he wants to be away from it but the sarge told me he said i didn't really believe it at first uh, matter of fact he said i didn't believe it so much that i bet another sergeant in the squad as we got into this i bet another sergeant in the squad that this was not going to be sammy the bull gravano maybe his son was somehow peripheral involved but it was not going to be gravano's operation sending as he's got a drug squad he he's sending undercovers into these raves and making small buys and as you do with local narcotics go in and make small buys trying to get small dealers and then finally pop them and try to turn them and get the next guy up uh he said his squad really uh was supposed to be going up on a wire on a mexican cartel now what's interesting about uh, uh the two different organizations on the Mexican cartel. They're all going to speak Spanish. So he's got to get a lot of Spanish speakers, and there's a lot of problems with the interpretation on those foreign language wires. But with uh, with this drug organization here, they're going to speak English as far as it looks to me like. I don't know if Gravano speaks Sicilian or not, but I'm, I guarantee you Mike Papa and his son does not speak Sicilian. And even in Kansas City, we only had a couple of three people that could speak Sicilian that would have conversations on a wire with that. So anyhow, he's got to make a decision. They have a big meeting, and that's where he that's where he says, you know, I just don't believe it's Gravano, but let's go for it. They have a, a female officer come in about this time, another kind of little push on them. She said that she is at church and there was somebody at her church was talking about going to raves or the kids were going to these raves. There's a lot of ecstasy being dealt and said one, uh, one of them was in a gym and this Mike Papa and some of his friends or these, you know, these steroid kind of thuggy friends he had were bragging about how they were giving this ecstasy to high school girls in order to end up getting them and have sex with them. And it, so, you know, uh, all that's like, you know, this is all coming together. And that, that's the kind of thing that puts pressure on your squad. So, you know, let's go do something about this. Yeah, we got these Mexicans dealing cocaine. So what's new? But we got this. This is new. 
and, and they're bragging about doing things like this. And, and those could be our sisters and, and uh, our cousins and, and our girlfriends or whatever. I guess these guys when that high school girl girlfriends. But anyhow, so they start taking a much closer look at Mike Papa. That was the name they, name they had was Mike Papa. Watching him, I mean, this how I know how this goes. As you start picking up on him, find out what kind of car he drives, where he lives, follow him around a little bit. They catch him at Uncle Sal's Italiana Ristorante, and and then they look into and more than once. They check in there. There's a guy named Gerard Garbano working there. It's like, oh boy. I started to pick up chatter about. Mike Papa and say, you know, he's connected. He's telling other people he's connected to the New York Mafia. He's connected to Sammy the Bull. Loose lips sink ships. And this guy's got some loose lips. You know, he's insecure and inadequate. And and he he wants to have this big organization behind him. They've connected him to, to a Gravano. I don't know about Sammy the Bull, where he is. Maybe he's not even there. Maybe it's just his family's out there. But they drop this Mexican organization like a hot potato and they go up on pin registers on Mike Papa. And they immediately start getting a lot of calls to Uncle Sal's. And there's something else called Marathon Construction. So the Sarge tells me he remembered when he got that Marathon Construction and he had to go back and look it up. Actually, he and, uh, and one of the other undercovers uh, will say that they read the book underboss trying to get you know in the in the head of sammy the bull during this time so he looks it up and he finds out that hell his new york construction company is marathon construction bam i think the dude is here and you know if he's here he still had a hard time believing he was really in charge of a big ecstasy ring which is selling to high school kids but is making a lot of money but it's leading directly into sammy the bull at this time the Sarge out in Phoenix tells me he's put his best undercover agent into this organization or set him after him. This is a guy that, that you know, he, you always got one good one, and this was his good one. So that's his best app for him. But he, he took him into his confidence and said, you know, this could be Sammy the Bull Gravano. But he said he didn't really brag around on the police department. He didn't tell anybody else because he said they'd laugh him right out of the office if he go around and say, oh, I'm going after Sammy the Bull Gravano. But he's got his agent going after Mike Papa. And the guy remembers Papa. He's been around for several years. Uh, he, he remembers because this guy had worked Gilbert High School because he looked so young when he was a young NAR when he first got into the narcotics business or acted as an undercover. And he had picked up on Mike Papa and the devil dogs, and they were all doing steroids and selling eggs at rape parties and, you know, beating people up and stuff like that. He started sending other, they're really young undercovers into raves and buying larger and larger quantity of pills. Get up around 50 pills at a time. They're about 20 bucks a pop. And, you know, as they got known, then they keep upping the request. And they start asking, well, where can we get 500 pills? Well, these guys, they're smaller dealers they're buying from. Says, watch the eyes. Says, there's New York guys running this now. And if they find out you're dealing, they're claiming that if you're a dealer out here, small dealer, they want a tax paid on each pill. I believe it was 50 cents or something. They want each pill you sell. One of their, one of their sources says, yeah, these New York guys, they're, they're working with Sammy the Bull Gravano. He's a new mop boss of, of Arizona. They're like, you know, they're still like, what the heck? What the heck's going on? But you know, he's in Phoenix. Pretty sure of that. Well, there's been the newspaper article in the Republic. They know he has this marathon construction because they've gone by that. They've seen him there. 
uh, his son Gerard and his ex-wife own his Uncle Sal's. Uh, Mike Papa is connected to the war pen register and and seen going in and out and seen with partying with Gerard and selling drugs with Gerard. And, and so about this time, you know, it's starting to coalesce together. This when it starts getting exciting. But you, it's not quite there. You, you need you need something else. And what they needed is go up on a wire. And it takes a lot to go up on a wire. So they don't really have, you know, have to exhaust all other ways to do the investigation and and you know i i don't think they've got any buys on popper or gerard uh got buys on people connected to them that say that's where they're getting it but at this time they got a little piece of luck you know it's 99 percent work and one percent luck and making this big investigation was mainly work customs u.s customs pops the guy at the border with five thousand ecstasy pills coming from spain and the guy wanted to cooperate and they they got this was in phoenix and and they got hold of phoenix pd and checked the name and lo and behold bam he comes up on mike papa's pin register oh oh so let's go talk to him about mike papa we can work a deal here mike papa says the guy says yeah mike papa's one of my major dealers bam talk to him on the phone bam probable cause bam Affidavits prepared, sent to a judge. You get an order for a wiretap on Mike Papa for 60 days. And these guys, uh, Papa and his buddies and, and Gerard Gravano, they didn't have much of a code. They talked about getting in shipments of CK, or which was, they figured out by name was Calvin Klein or Nike or Swoosh. And, and some of the pills that they've been buying had been marked with CK or a Nike Swoosh. And the Spanish seizure peel, pills had been marked with a Nike swoosh. Uh, cops are all over him now. I mean, they, they're they on the wire. They're following him around. They're trying to make buys from con- dealers connected to him. There's New York mobsters in and out of town stalking him. Uh, his son's hanging out with this well-known local drug dealer. Uh, there's going to be a, uh, a little uh, sit-down. There was a sit-down with... Uh, English Sean, the guy who was the big drug dealer at the time. Uh, it's just, you know, it's getting crazy. Uh, Phoenix PD, because this takes a lot of resources now, they're going to put a lot of resources into it. So they need to get with the DEA and keep the wiretap going, going to a federal wiretap and a lot more funds. And they'll, you know, way we do it is local PD will supply the manpower and the DEA will, will use their sets of laws and, and that kind of thing to to get up on a federal wiretap and, and do some other things. So they did not let the FBI know, and everybody was sworn to secrecy. They did not want anybody outside of the squad working on this to know, because what they're afraid of, the U.S. Marshals, the FBI, you don't know, they, if they figure out they're working on them, then they might just snatch him up and say, hey, you got to go. You know, you've been, you, you've been exposed now. I think he, he may have been out of the witness protection program at this time, but those guys wouldn't have known it. So they did not do that because they were afraid. And I had this happen in Kansas City. Kind of a small-time marijuana dealer. acted like he was a big-time guy. And, and as we made small deals with him, and he was talking about being a, a mobster, and he's in from out of town, and he's connected to the Sabellas and a different drop of names here. But we never could put him with them. Finally, getting ready to, you know, we get with the DEA and, and then they go to the U.S. attorney and they want to go a little further with it. 
you know, really make this into a case and make bigger and bigger buys from him, although he's not really coming through. Somebody finally finds out that this guy's in witness protection and the U.S. attorney says, you know, you don't have enough. Drop it. We're moving it. And, and they did. Now, English Sean, Sean Atwood, will later claim these New York guys were robbing his dealers and, and threatening them. And claims he had a set down with some of these guys and he was told he got to pay a tax and, and buy from them. Atwood will claim, claims today that back then he had really good supply coming from the Netherlands and, and uh, Mike Papa crew. Nirvano crew got really poor quality Mexican X, but please don't verify this. Matter of fact, the, the main guy that was dealing with them was bringing it in from the Netherlands himself. It was, and I believe he was Israeli. And, and they will talk a little bit about this Israeli connection that, that they had. In an ironic twist, uh, the Phoenix Narcotics took down a low-level Gravano dealer and turned him against Sean Atwood later on and made a case on him. So he caught a case and, and did his own time out in the Arizona State Penitentiary. But Papa's Ring has grown into the largest dealer of ecstasy pills in Arizona. And uh, selling for about 25 bucks each, uh, doing 20, 25,000 a week. The profits are around 300, $250,000, $300,000 a week. And, and during this time, I, I couldn't quite figure out, but this guy, a guy named Dominic Sissio, appears on the scene, and he seems to be involved in it. Uh, he, was, uh, he was from New York. He was a, kind of a connected mob guy. He was kind of a huge leg-breaker type who worked out constantly. One way they made a case on Gerard was they overheard him on the phone talking to Gerard about getting some E or ecstasy. And he's also, they're saying he was Sammy the Bull, and Sammy the Bull seems to have taken him under his wing. And, and so, you know, when you're on the outside looking in, even after you make the cases and everything, sometimes it, it, all the uh, the relationships don't seem to make quite as much sense as you would like them to. But let me tell you this one story about about how one deal went down where they, they had wiretaps going and they listened to a lot of it. They're on a wiretap, and I believe it, it must have been on Gerard, and Phoenix PD hears him talking to Gerard, as uh, Dominic Sissio, about getting some ecstasy, or X, or E, whatever they want, I remember what they called it. And shortly after that, they see Sissio come arrive at Marathon Construction, and he's talking to Gravano, and then he leaves there. And right after that, he goes right to a phone. He calls Gerard back on a tap line and said, your dad's good with it, so we're good to go. So that's one of the little things that, that implicated Sammy the Bull in running this ecstasy organization. After this observation, of course, Phoenix got a court order to install microphones in the office, in the marathon office, because there he can say, yeah, you're... There's enough probable cause that they're having dirty conversations in this office. Before they could get any incriminating conversations, they saw a telephone band enter the office like they didn't know what the deal was. And they had one mic that was in a wall, but the other one, they put a mic inside your telephone, a sending unit inside your telephone that sends it out over the wire, I believe. But it uses your telephone receiver as a mic. It opens it up. Where when you're talking, then your your telephone receiver is is the microphone. Pretty slick, but it's kind of easy to find. And, and so the AT and T guy comes in, then he leaves, and right after he leaves, 
Samuel Bull calls in all of his employees and screams at them, screams, goes off about how they've now been setting an alarm, leaving the office unsecure at night. Hell's going on. Then he went outside and, and it seemed like they're, you know, they're sitting in a van out there and he's singing real at the top of his voice, Oh, solo mio. And they, the, the detectives seemed like it was to calm himself down. He was so upset and rage goes back inside and boy, that Buffus bugs were dead after that. There was nothing but just, you know, their normal kind of business. May 2001, this Arizona state case is swallowed up and made part of a much larger federal case out of New York. Uh, made the allegation that Gravano's ring was a major dealer with this Israeli ring out of New York City. The feds made the claim that the Gravano ring was buying as much as 40,000 ecstasy, ecstasy pills at a time for this Israeli drug gang that operated in New York City. And, and on an international basis, the feds were working on this Israeli ecstasy smuggling and they, they discovered that uh, i talked about this before they're paying strippers ten thousand dollars to go back to europe and bring back a suitcase filled with ecstasy ecstasy and orthodox jews dressed like an orthodox jew and uh you know israeli organized crime elements had, had noticed several years before young israelis were taking this x at clubs and parties and raves in in israel and what i read they got in the business there and then spread it north to europe and what's interesting is the israeli jews had always dominated the diamond market in antwerp belgium and and some of those diamond dealers are connected guys and and these israelis noticed that smuggling little small pills is kind of like smuggling diamonds they already were into that and knew how to do that so they all they got into business and, and they started flooding the United States. There appears to be a conflict as they're starting to wind down their investigation, but there appears to be the, the Phoenix PD and DEA, and there appears to be a conflict within the Gravano Papa organization, whatever you want to call it, and their Jewish connection. English Sean was bought from this guy, Elian Zarger, and Papa and Gravano had cornered one of English Sean's dealers and said he had to pay a tax to Gravano. And Zarger sent out his, his guy and they had a sit down. And that's where Sammy the Bull said, hey, you know, anything that gets sold in Arizona, I get a piece of. I own Arizona. Arizona is mine. If you want to go more into Ilian Zarger, he was busted with a gang called the Brooklyn Terror Squad. And there's a lot more out there about the Israeli mafia and the ex business. Now it comes a time. Now it comes a time you got to take these things down. Uh, I've been there. We had, we took one down once, and and we knew we weren't going to get anything. But upper management said, you know, we put too much power manpower into this. It's costing us too much money. We don't really see an end to it. You're not going to re up on the uh, wiretap for another thirty or sixty days take it down, go serve your search warrants on all the locations and see if you can get anything. In the end, just before they take this down, Sammy the Bull, he makes a mistake. He makes a mistake in mathematics and multiplying and adding and subtracting and counting. And he did it on a tape phone, and that's what will bring him down. Late one night, Gerard calls his father on a tape phone, wakes him up, his little apartment, and he said, 
mommy wants me to ask, can you lend Mike 70 for the gas receipts? Sammy says, yeah, have your mom bring the money to work tomorrow. The gravado hung up. Uh, they kind of figured, you know, this code would meant that Sammy the Bull is telling Gerard to tell his mother to bring $70,000 from a home safe that she had and loan it to Mike Papa to buy ecstasy. The next morning, Gravano's daughter, Karen, got the money from her mother and delivered it to Sammy's office. Bam, bring Karen into it. Delivers it to Sammy's office at Marathon Construction. Next comes up a series of misunderstandings about the money. And th this was over the construction company phone. They're on it by now. The first call, Sammy's all pissed off. He calls Deborah's wife, ex-wife, and accuses her of shorting the 70000 So there's only 65000 here. It's $5,000 short. She said, it's all there. I swear, it's all there. In the second call, Gravado again claims that Deborah shorted the case. And that was, he said, that's the second time I found a shortage. And he, he's accusing her of stealing money the first time around and now the second time around. And then there comes a third call to the ex-wife. And Sammy admits, well, I was wrong. I'd miscounted. The Phoenix cops know that this money's been used for an upcoming drug buy out of California. And that's when they got the indictments. Get those indictments and, and take them down. These are the things that led to their destruction. This phone call right here, and best I can tell, I'll talk about that a little more, is really what brought him down. It seems, I don't know. We have to put a lot more with this, but and for him to plead guilty to it, too. And I know there is a lot more that they've got. But the next morning, February 24, 2000, they hit 14 Phoenix area residents all at the same time, 6 a.m. in the morning. I've been part of those. We hit everybody at the same time. They arrested Sammy the Bull, Deborah, Karen, David Seabrook, Karen's uh, boyfriend, and the son Gerard, Mike Papa, and about 30 other dealers. He seized 23 guns and about 90 grand in cash put out on the table for the media. They like, you know, I, I know upper management likes guns and cash and drugs. Preferably, you like to have, you know, 20 kilos of cocaine or, you know, big bags of pills on the table, too. But get that evidence and put it down the table at the 6 o'clock news that night at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, depending on what city you're in. That's when the FBI learns about the case against their star witness, their, their, their uh, guy that put Gotti in the penitentiary. Everybody had worked to keep it top secret. They'd never used Gravano's name in teletypes or, or even in reports that might get out of their control. They always talked about Mike Papa all the time and not Gravano. Tell me the bull had been warned. He had other friends warn him that law enforcement was looking at him for some reason. They don't know why, but he's looking at him. A guy like him, he's so charismatic, like my friend Doug said, and so likable. You know, people want to help him. And, you know, somebody told him it's easy to do. I mean, I've been there before. We, we got an apartment one time right across the street from a, uh, a biker bar. We wanted to see, you know, who was going there and who wasn't and on a kind of an ongoing basis. And, and all of a sudden, nobody showed up at that bar. Finally, after about two weeks, we just dropped it. And we found out like a month later that the, the uh, liquor store, the, the apartment was up over a liquor store. And that was right across the street from this biker bar. 
And the guy that owned the liquor store was talking to the guy that rented out the apartments and the guys didn't use some kind of cover. You need to use some kind of cover. I know one thing we've used is we're a traveling uh, crew, construction crew, that we only use a thing during the week and we're only going to, you know, we may use it. Some There are some people using night, working nights, they'll sleep during the day. Some people work in day, so they'll sleep at night. And kind of gives you a reason for coming and going, like carrying, you know, tools and things like that. You put your camera in, a, in different bags and any equipment you have. And, and so you need a cover story. And lots of times, uh, guys, everybody doesn't, doesn't carry it out that far. And so probably somebody didn't carry it out that far. Uh, somebody said, you know, hey, they're looking at you, dude. But, you know, I don't even so, I guess maybe even so arrogant. He thought, oh, these little two-bit uh, local police officer police guys they're they're not going to get anything on me but you know uh and this statistically uh they did a lot on him they monitor seventeen thousand. i read this seventeen thousand conversations from several different wiretaps he they he put a hidden microphone in his apartment but he found that too at some point in time and, and uh, i don't know and, and we know he found the the bug inside of his office so uh, he should have known, but it might have been too late. But they were still talking on that tape phone just before they, they took it all down. That's when they really got the, the that's why they took it down, because they felt like that would be the smoking gun, if you will, that, that's going to put him in this case. I know one of the Phoenix officers told me that, uh, you know, he said, I was really surprised that they had these kinds of discussions on the tape phone. He said, I figured he'd do walking talks and, you know, I read, uh, read, uh, read his book and learned about how they learned to do walking talks. And so they can't be monitored, although Gotti didn't do it. He thought he had a cool place in that old lady's apartment up above the, the social club. But uh, I don't know. He, the guy said either Sammy let his guard down or he didn't think we were sophisticated enough to do anything to, to take him down. But they were sophisticated enough to do it because they did bring him down. What really brought him down was his problem in counting money. <laughs> and the Phoenix coppers I talked to said that the key reason they were able to hang this ecstasy ring around his neck was that argument they had over the sixty-five or seventy thousand dollars. That to them that that locked it in, and I guess it did to his attorney too. Like I said, there were other things, other people were turning, and when you put it all together, they had this big case going back east. And Mike Papa will eventually turn. He didn't turn before Sammy the Bull went in. Papa could have buried him for sure, but he didn't turn until after he copped a plea. Now, after he copped a plea, he did turn and he did talk about it, but not a lot. Not, not like this was all Sammy the Bull's idea and he was running everything. Uh, you know, they had this bigger case going on in New York City. And they end up going back. They actually bring Papa and and Gravano back to New York because they're charging him with violating his original agreement. Papa does end up, and after that next one, he's already pled guilty on the state charges, and, and uh, Papa will plead guilty in back east in Brooklyn and under federal cases or federal charges. And in exchange for a 10-year sentence, he'll testify against Gravano. But Sammy, like I said, Sammy the Bullet already testified, and, and uh, the, uh, the detective out there told me, he said, I don't think it really mattered 
to Sammy the Bull whether he was going to testify or not. He just he didn't give him that much weight. Figured he could be uh, he could be uh, intimidated by a lawyer or uh, probably compromised by a lawyer. He he had so much dirt on him. So who knows? Federal prosecutors back east will claim a lot of other charges, though. Uh, they pulled out. They threw everything at him but the kitchen sink. They claimed they had information on four murder plots in Arizona, none of which were ever carried out. One of them, now get this, one of them was supposed to be Gerard's girlfriend. They claimed he threatened to kill his girl because she was publicly bragging that she was, Sammy, he, she was dating Sammy the Bull's son. I don't know. That's, uh, that's a stretch, if you ask me. Another time that supposedly they, they were going to charge him with putting a gun to his son's head or disrespecting the family. I, I don't know where they got that. Said they could introduce evidence that Nirvana was creating an Arizona mafia. They, they alleged that he was recruiting New York mobsters and bringing them out there. Like this Dominic Sissio, and I, you know, I never couldn't find anything more about him. I don't know what the, he seemed to disappear. He probably testified a little bit, but when when Gervado and his wife and son they all pled guilty, all the rest of them were were minor characters in this play. You know, Sean Atwood was was not really part of that. They had a much bigger case on the Israelis uh, back in New York City that that. Uh, had nothing to do really with Gravano. They didn't need any of this crew to to deal with the Israeli mafia people back east. They were kind of like the the small fish. So in the end, uh, Gravano and his son Gerardo appear together actually in a federal district court in Brooklyn and cop plea and public spectacle of a trial. Documents uh, they probably seal the documents and they put the wiretaps in as evidence, so they're sealed forever. Uh, he got 20 years of federal prison in uh, 2007. A Maricopa County judge gave him indeterminate sentence with a top of 19 years and going to run concurrently. Uh, they did agree that his, his wife didn't serve any time probation. His daughter didn't serve any time probation. And he asked that his son be allowed to serve his time. He got like, I don't want to say eight or nine years serve his time in the same penitentiary that he was in. Now, he, I think he went to ADX Max in, in uh, Florence, Colorado, but they have a farm, they have uh, maximum security, so I'm not sure you know, how that worked in the penitentiary. And, uh, I've got a feeling that probably did work. That'd be a pretty small kind of a uh, concession to make to get him to go ahead and plead guilty to 20 years. But, you know, guy does 20 years, comes back out comes a success in the uh, media business so go figure so i don't know I, i'll leave it up to you guys uh, was he running an ecstasy ring he had people that that said that he was running an ecstasy ring before this thing hit with his son and this mike papa or was it mike papa running it and then he came in just trying to protect his son and help his son which is what he would say he just kind of got in to protect his son keep his son out of trouble which Drew brought brought more heat down. If he'd not done that, they might not have ever done the wiretap thing. Certainly wouldn't have been as much heat on it. Certainly wouldn't have had a federal charge on it. And, and uh, you know, just been a lot less heat on it if he just stayed clear out of it. So I don't know. I, 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 from talking to this policeman out there, I tend to believe that that he did come in, just like he says, to, to help his son, keep his son out of trouble. 
uh, and he made the deal to get it to, to help his family out. And certainly his wife and daughter didn't have to serve any time. They were peripheral parts of this thing. It's uh, Anyhow, it's, just, uh, it's another one. There's seven million stories in a naked city, as we used to say uh, back in an old TV show. And this is just another one of them. So thanks a lot, folks. That's that's my take on uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano and his uh, ecstasy ring in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't forget to look out for motorcycles when you're out driving around because you don't see us come in our lane i've even had people take a cut at me some people take a cut at you i've had that happen two or three times and and most especially sport bikers will talk about people taking a cut at them usually in big f-150 pickups and one guy followed me for a long ways and then when i went to turn off what i did i zipped in front of him in a, in a traffic blending situation with a motorcycle you get in front of anybody <laughs> And this son of a bitch, he follows me for a long ways. And I thought, well, I guess he's going the same way I'm going because he didn't get that close. But when I went to turn off, he took and and, and he kind of went in the left lane as a four lane. Uh, it was a major street, but it was four lanes. And, and when he got up next to me, he is just before I cut off. He took a big cut like that. And then straightened out and went on. I don't know. I'm old enough that uh, I don't need your trouble. I figured that guy wouldn't want to live in that guy's skin. Myself, he's his own worst enemy. Anyhow, uh, so don't forget to look out for motorcycles. And uh, if you have any problems with PTSD like that guy probably did, he's probably a veteran of Afghan and, and has an anger management problem. He needs to call the VA and uh, get that hotline and, and get some, get some, get himself some help. He can go to jail for taking a cut at a motorcycle and knocking him down. Evidence shows that he would, and I got a feeling that it probably would show him he, he was wrong if there was any. There was somebody behind us. I know that. Anyhow, thanks a lot, guys.